Besides everything that's overwhelming us, I still want to say happy Sabbath. Uh, Tavia is back. Uh, they traveled. Nancy, which is one of Sonia's best friends, uh, they traveled in two separate cars. They're here now. They just texted me a little bit ago. And so let's just keep uh, the family in, in prayer. Her daughters will be traveling from Jamaica in a few days as soon as they get their visa. Uh, they are getting approved for a special visa so they can come down. And uh, we'll keep you guys informed as far as the, uh, the memorial service and, and, and other details. Um, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the title of my sermon today. John chapter 8 is an incredible chapter to study for the 4th of July. I mean, it, it just fits so well for the 4th of July commemoration. Every 4th of July, we, you know what we celebrate. Those that were born and raised in the U.S. might have a, a different feeling for this, for this day. But we too that come from other countries because some of us came from countries that were really messed up. We came fleeing from circumstances that were way beyond our control. Countries in war, countries with political division that just makes it so uneasy to live. We came from countries where making a living was just out of the picture. And so coming to this country and enjoying the freedoms here is also a blessing. So every 4th of July we are reminded how much independence cost this country. And we celebrate our freedoms. I was uh, going through a little bit of the history and going through those first meetings of our forefathers when they would meet and spend two hours in prayer before deliberating. Four hours studying the Bible before deliberating. Psalm 35, in one of those first meetings. So when you have a chance, just read Psalm 35. Four hours studying the Bible. Then in the 13 colonies, they would proclaim days of prayer, days of fasting. And then we start to understand why that army that had everything against them, the American soldiers, imagine, a farmer would get another 20 farmers and he would be called a colonel. He would be called a captain. He would be in charge of that group of farmers now called soldiers. And going against the most mighty army in the world at that time, only God, like George Washington said, could have provided the means for them to win. So, you know, today we celebrate that, but, you know, without undermining the importance and the transcendence of this holiday, I would like to have us think about and appreciate the biggest freedom of all, the freedom in Jesus, the freedom from sin, freedom from eternal death. The Bible states in verse 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So to understand what that really means, we have to dive really deep into the context of this passage. So the first question is, where is Jesus when he is speaking? Let's go to verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So he spent the night there praying like usual. Now early in the morning, he came again to where? Where, he, where, where is he in this, in this passage? He came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Now, it is in this context where they bring this woman that was caught in adultery. You guys remember the story, so I'm not going to go into details. So they bring this woman that caught in adultery with the plan of 
conforming with the law and stoning her to death. Which that didn't happen. And you know why that didn't happen. Jesus starts to ride on the ground, the sins of all those that had stones in their hands. And then he says, if anyone doesn't have any sins, you throw the first stone. And he continues to write their sins on the ground, the, the dirt there of the temple. And all those people that were trying to condemn her, they left. I mean, can you imagine people bringing someone to church to condemn them? I mean, that's just beyond my, my, my imagination. I mean, you don't bring people to church to condemn them. You bring them here to be saved. You bring them here to be uplifted. You bring them here to know God. But here they brought this woman to be condemned. And Jesus says, where are those that were condemning you? <laughs> and, 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 and you know what, what she answers, right? What does she answer? They're all gone. No one's here. You know, she lifts up her face, which probably face towards the ground, and there's no one there. And Jesus says, well, I do not condemn you either. And then what, what did he add? Therefore, go and sin no more. Talk about freedom. <laughs> Talk about freedom, man. That's amazing. So uh, here's Jesus in the temples. We have this story. And, and, and the first thing that Jesus does to help us understand the definition of true freedom is to explain what true faith is. In other words, if you want true freedom, you have to have true faith. So let, let, let's go back to the passage here. So uh, you know, let, let, let's, let's see what happens here. You know, we, we have the story. We have the story of the, of the woman there that's being condemned and is not condemned. And then he's, he starts to do something incredible. Look, look, look what happens there. When, after he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He starts to speak again in verse 12. Okay? And as, as soon as he starts to speak, what happens with the people? Well, they start to gather again. I mean, that's the normal thing. Jesus starts to talk. People start to gather. So it says, then Jesus spoke to them again. And then we have that tremendous declaration where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm not going to explain all the context there. But then he has a case before him where the rest of that first part of the chapter, he's defending his authority and he's defending his self-witness before the Pharisees. Now, what would happen if you go get a job and you turn in your resume and the only recommendation you have there is from you. You know, you know when you put the names of those folks that they can call and, and get recommendations? Okay? And, and, and you don't have there your, your previous employers that you did a good job. You don't have the name of your friend there. You, you only have your name there. That's not going to cut it. That's not going to work out. So when Jesus is talking about himself, the Pharisees get upset and say, if you, this is the only recommendation you have, your own recommendation, then you're a liar. So Jesus has to defend his authority, his, his, his self-witness, and, and he describes in that first part of the, of, the, of the passage of the chapter, you can read that at home, he is describing his relationship with his father and how that relationship is the basis of his authority and his self-witness. He underlines how important it is to know and accept him, to accept Jesus, in order to accept the father. Are you following me? Okay. He also predicts his death. There's another uh, part of the passage there where he predicts his death. And he emphasizes how the death on the cross, because he says, when I be lifted up, right? So he, he actually emphasizes how his death on the cross would prove that he was telling 
the truth. Now, an evidence that this discourse was so compelling, look what it says in verse 30. And I'm reading from the Message Bible here. It says, when he put it in these terms, many people, many people decided to what? To believe. So, so I, I need you to understand something. For us to understand what he's going to explain about freedom in the following verses, Jesus wants us to understand what real faith means. In other words, like I said before, if you want to be free, you have to have real faith. Now, I have a question for you guys. Do you think that those that the, the Bible mentions that believed, they really believed? You think they really believed? I'm sure some did. But, but look what Jesus says here. Referring to the many who had put their faith in him, it turns out that Jesus, he views that many of those folk have a false faith. Look what it says in verse 31. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. The word claimed is from the Message Bible because they're interpreting the word believe that's there. It's, it's a different Greek word. It's not the, the, the pisteo, which means believe like trust. It's just assuming that you know somebody or, or that you uh, think that you know somebody. And so it says, then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe in him. And then he mentions some horrible things about these people that had believed in him. First of all, in verse 34, it says, they are slaves to sin. In verse 37, it says, you're indifferent to my word. In verse 44, it says, you're the children of the devil. I mean, that's a harsh discourse. You know, he says, your father is the devil. He calls them liars. Verse 55. He, he says they're guilty of mob tactics, including attempted murder of the one in whom they have professed to believe. You can see that in verse 59 when they wanted to kill him. So in addition to the genuine believers that were there, we have this group of believers that didn't accept his word. They didn't have room in their heart for the word of God. So Jesus' harshest condemnations were reserved for them. Now, John, in the previous chapter of, of, the, of the gospel, in, in chapter 2, he already has introduced the theme of a fickle faith. You know what fickle means? It's changing all the time. And what is changing? Your loyalties. What is changing? Your affections. So that, that, that fickle faith is mentioned in chapter 2, verse 23. And many people had believed because they had seen what? Remember? They had seen the signs. They had seen the miracles. So, you know, the signs can foster an apparent but false faith. So a lot of these people had believed because they had seen those miracles. Uh, that, that, that fickle faith occurs in chapter 6, verse 60, when it says that many of the disciples of Jesus, what happened? You remember? The Bible says that they turned away from him. They turned away from him. After a discourse that they simply did not agree on. So it was not even about a sign. It was about his teachings. They just didn't agree with it. So here we have a similar situation. Jesus lays down exactly what it is that separates spurious faith from true faith. Fickle disciples from genuine disciples. So look at verse 31. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my what? My disciples or my followers. The verb rendered hold. I like this because it comes from a Greek word that's meno. Meno means to abide or to remain. A theme that is of critical importance, especially when you get to chapter 15 when he compares himself to the vine and we are the branches. So, so 
you know, that, 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 that abide, that, that remain is, is, is so important in, in the book of John. In short, perseverance is the mark of true faith, of real disciples. So, so follow me, please. A genuine believer remains in Jesus' word, logos, his teachings. Now, a person that remains in his word is going to obey his word, is going to seek to understand it better. It, it, the person that is a true believer is going to find in the word of God, every time he reads it, something more precious, more controlling precisely when other forces flatly oppose it. So true faith is in the person that continues in the teaching and has both the father and the son. Now, this is a great moment to take a pause then. Because remember, to understand true freedom that we're going to be studying this morning, Jesus says you have to have real faith. You have to have true faith. You have to be my disciples. So here's a few questions for you. Are we genuine believers? So, so let's go back to what the passage is teaching us. Are you remaining in Jesus' logos, in his word? Are you seeking to understand it better every day? Well, if you're not studying it every day, then how are you going to understand it better every day? Are we finding it more precious as time goes by? Or is it stale? Are we allowing the word of God to guide our life? That is a true believer. That is true faith. So, so to the Jews who have professed faith in him, Jesus, understandably enough, dictates what genuine faith does. So listen to this. It perseveres. It holds tight to Jesus, to his teachings. Of course, with glorious consequences, right? But such faith costs not less than everything. And the freedom it brings presupposes that life before such faith is pitiful slavery. So I want you to follow, because Jesus is going to start talking about what freedom and slavery is in the following part of the chapter. So, Holding to Jesus' teaching not only establish, establishes the genuineness of our faith, it also has its own authenticating power. We come to know the truth not simply because of intellectual assessment, no, but by moral commitment and even more so by accepting Jesus and entering into a saving relationship with him. The word truth here is very close to the word gospel. Did you guys know that? Because here, it's talking about the truth that has been revealed in and by Jesus. In and by Jesus. Because of the truth's intimate connection with Jesus, true disciples must not only hear the words of Jesus, they must have a relationship with Jesus. Because he is the truth. So to be free... The first thing that Jesus is trying to help us understand is that you must be a, a real believer, a true believer. But then we go to number two. To be free, there must be an understanding of what we have been freed of and how we have, made, how we have been made free. So verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, which were not really believers, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know. By experience, the word no here is by experience. It's not because someone told you or because you read it somewhere, no. And you shall know by experience the truth. And the truth shall make you what? 
So, so what did Judaism teach that made you free? It was just by studying and memorizing the law of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. If you studied that, you were free. You were free. The study of the law makes a man free. That was what Judaism would teach. But the fourth gospel insists that the law only points to who? To Jesus. To Jesus. Himself the truth. The one who is full of grace and truth. So true freedom is only enjoyed if you have Jesus. Only if you have Jesus. The nature of the freedom depends on the nature of the slavery that Jesus is talking about, of course. And to that point, let's keep uh, reading. So verse 33. Jesus is offering freedom, so that means that if he is offering freedom, then we should probably think that he's assuming that they're slaves. Okay? So, so please don't, don't, don't miss out on this. You know, they, they, they emphatically deny that they're slaves because it says here, and they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Okay? Follow the lines there. So he says, if you know the truth, the truth will what? And then Jesus is actually saying, you are slaves. And they say, no, we're not. We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make me free? So, so how can they be considered slaves of anyone or anything if they're descendants of who? Of Abraham. Now, I don't think that they're thinking about real slavery to another nation because, you know, I, I, I don't think they're objecting to that because they had been in political subjection to all the major powers in this world. I mean, just go back in history. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, Syria, and now Rome. So they're, they're definitely not thinking of that type of slavery because they had been under these uh, kingdoms and their, and their, you know, their, their, their foot was on their neck and they were subject to that type of uh, situation, you know, the, the, the political subjection. Now, let's think for a little bit. Their freedom, what were they really thinking about? You know that in, in Rome's time, they did have some religious freedom. You know that, right? They could have their worship. And, and there were, you know, they, they definitely they were a little bit independent religiously. Okay, it was very substantial uh, to them. But the fact remains that they were still in service to Caesar. I mean, just, just, just look at history. They were subject to the Roman power. So I think that the Jews are not really thinking about that. They're thinking more about spiritual freedom. They're thinking about spiritual privilege. They are convinced that they are free, and therefore they don't need no what? They don't need no freedom. They don't need no liberation. The final sentence of the verse, how can you say that we shall be set free, has a very ugly and challenging look to it. These believers, these believers are already demonstrating their unwillingness to accept Jesus' teaching. And you know why? Because they have the sense of inherited privilege. It's so strong that they can neither acknowledge their own need or nor recognize the divine word incarnate before them. Their very words demonstrate their slavery. So Jesus finds himself in a place where he has to explain to them what it means to be free and what it means to be a slave. So let's go to verse 34. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, 
Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So to disabuse his listeners of any sense of privilege that depends merely on some type of physical lineage or you know, just being descendants of Abraham, he has to talk about his own authority. Verse 34. So listen to this. With a strong asseveration, I tell you the truth. So Jesus makes it plain what type of slavery he's talking about. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The practice of sin. And we can go through a lot of passages in the Bible to, to show you. There's, you know, Romans 6, 12, uh, uh, 13 and verse 17, 1 John 4, verse 3, 8 and 9. But, but what I want you to understand is that actively practicing sin enslaves. Enslaves. Makes us a slave. Now, for Jesus, the ultimate bondage is not to be somehow uh, enslaved by political or an economical system like Rome. For Jesus, the problem is the vicious slavery that he is talking about is about moral failure. It's about rebellion against God. It's about shameful self-centeredness. It's all about me. That's our real problem. You know, actually, if you, if, when, when I do counseling to couples, one of the things that always stands out is how selfish they are. It's like, no, it's that he doesn't listen. He, he, he doesn't help out in the chores at home. He, but she's just thinking about herself. And then he says, well, I get home tired, and, and I don't have time for that stuff. And, and, and I, it's all about him. And so at the root of all the marriage problems that I have to handle, there is this huge ego. This huge ego. And Jesus knows that. So he's talking about that type of slavery, the slavery of sin that puts us forefront and centered. The despotic master is not Caesar, but shameful self-centeredness. So this is why Jesus would not let himself be reduced to some level of, of a, a political messiah, right? You know, it's not that he doesn't claim to question social justice, but the pursuit of social justice alone will always prove vain and ephemeral unless a deeper enslavement is understood. Jesus came to offer freedom. Freedom from what? What is Jesus saying? I came at the core of freedom is I came to set you free from sin, from the condemnation of sin, from the final destruction that sin causes. Jesus came to give us freedom from putting ourselves first Jesus came to get rid of our selfishness, of our egoism. This is accomplished only by accepting the gift that Jesus provided on the cross. That's the only way we can be set free. Accepting Christ's death on the cross. Only he can break the chains. Now, the third thing that we need to consider about freedom, and we're talking about freedom in Christ, is that it is not inherited. It is not inherited. Everyone has to have their own faith, their own relationship with Jesus, and develop 
that relationship with Jesus in such a way that they can enjoy that freedom. So in verse 35, it says, you know, they're still talking about being descendants of, of Abraham, right? So the Jews think of themselves as sons of Abraham. But in reality, they are slaves to sin. Jesus has already explained that. So as sons of Abraham, the Jews felt spiritually confident. They felt self-assured. So by Jesus saying that they were slaves, Jesus was attacking the root of their assurance. For a slave has no permanent place in the family. That's what Jesus is telling them. And then he says, so if the son sets you free, the genuine son, he's not talking about the Christians here, so don't get confused. He's talking about himself. Talking about Jesus, Christ himself. The Greek word son is ho heus, which only John uses to talk about Jesus. One of the titles, the favorite titles in the gospel of John is the son of God. The son of God. And that's not used to relate to human beings in the whole book of John. Only to Jesus. Only to Jesus. Believers are ta kegna tu theon, which is children of God. So notice the difference. Son of God, children of God. And a son cannot be anything else but a son. A slave can be sold or given away or whatever. But the Bible says, if the son sets you free. So, so here we have someone that's not just part of a household. This is a son of God. Okay? As that title that John uses, he says you will be free indeed if you have who? The son. So Jesus not only enjoys the rights as the unique son of God, but exercises full authority invested in him by the father. And he has the right to liberate any slave he wants. Any slave. Those who Jesus liberates from the tyranny of sin are really free. Ontos. They are free. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please. True liberty is to do what we ought. There was a book that came out some years ago. I don't know how many of you remember this. I think it was Morris Bender. He says, love God and do what you please. You guys remember that book? No one read that book before? Oh, it's an amazing book. Look it up. You might be able to find it somewhere. Love God and do as you please. Because it results that when you really love God, what you please is what pleases God. That's true freedom. Okay? In other words, genuine liberty it's going to take you to a place where you do what you ought to do and it pleases you. And it pleases you. The Jews have tied their self-profession freedom to their status as the seed of Abraham. So Jesus now turns to that question. So even in the Old Testament, physical descent from Abraham was not sufficient to determine that you are really part of God's people. Did you guys know that? It was more a spiritual thing. It was not so much a physical thing. And Paul, he underlines that when he says, for example, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, says Paul, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. The circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And, and I found it really interesting how Jeremiah also underlines that fact. It says in Jeremiah 9, verse 25 and 26, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised 
Look how he's going to punish them. That I will punish all that are circumcised with uncircumcision. Okay, follow me. Egypt, Judah, Edom, the people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners, who dwell in the wilderness. For all these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in the heart. So paternity, or what would we call it? You know, paternity in the, in the spiritual realm is established by right conduct, by right belief, and by transparent love. In other words, Jesus resorts to a moral and ethical notion of descent as more important than physical descent. They answered and said to him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, yeah, yeah, sure. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You remember the Bible says that Abraham obeyed God in all his commandments, all his precepts, and everything that he ordered. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And then later he explains who their father is <laughs> in very harsh terms. The devil is your father. Then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Wrong. Jesus said to them, if, you were, if God were your father, listen to this. Listen to this. Verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Nor came I from myself, but he sent me. So th this is where I want to make another pause because a lot of us were born Adventists. How many of you were born in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Wow, that's, that's a good amount. And you know that can be pretty tricky. Or how many of you have, you know, like 15, 20 years in the church? Or more? Okay, so that can be really tricky. Let, let, me, let me share this with you. So... For us who have a, a, an Adventist heritage, we can say, I'm third generation Adventist. I'm fourth generation Adventist. Uh, one of our sisters here is fifth generation Adventist. You know that? I don't know if anyone has that privilege, but, but there's a member of our church here that's fifth generation Adventist. That goes a long way back. Now, do you, do you think, because of that, that Adventist heritage, that gives us some type of an advantage over other people? You think that that gives us in itself some type of assurance of our salvation? Maybe for some, it can give them a false sense of spiritual security or even superiority. Freedom is not inherited. It has to be experienced. By loving Jesus, he says, if God is your father, you're going to what? You're going to love me. You're going to love me. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It does not matter the color of your skin or where you're from. If you're from Zimbabwe, yeah? <laughs> if you're from Nigeria, if you're from Jamaica, it doesn't matter if you're from Puerto Rico, from Cameroon, from the United States. And by the way, happy birthday, USA. If you're from Mexico, it doesn't matter. Only if you have the Son can you be free. It doesn't matter your race. It's not about race. It's not where you're from. It's certainly 
is not based on how many generations of Adventists you come from. And it's not based on how many years you've been an Adventist. Only if the Son sets you free can you be free indeed. So Jesus makes that very clear in this account. You know, many times we're slaves and we don't acknowledge it. Sometimes we're slaves of our preconcepts. Sometimes we are, we are slaves of preconceived ideas about others or, or ourselves or the church or whatever. Many times we are slaves of bad habits. Yeah, that secret sin that only God and you knows. Well, that's already too many people that know it. If God knows it and you know it, that's too many. So sometimes we're, we're slaves of that secret sin. Sometimes we're slaves of unhealthy emotions like fear. And we saw that during this pandemic. I mean, they were freaking out. And there are people that love Jesus. I can't understand that. I mean, fear has its place, but then fear, God manages it and takes it away. But there's people that still live in constant fear, and they're slaves of fear. Some are, are, are slaves of anger. Some are slaves of jealousy. And the list can go on and on. What I want to remind you is that only if the Son sets you free... You can be free indeed. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because there's another enemy that thinks that he can enslave us. I'm talking about death. So, so I, I, need, I, need to, I need to go here, okay? So just let me go here. Today we mourn and grieve the loss of other, another church member very dear to us, Sister Sonia Miller, that a couple of days ago was called to rest in Jesus well, death thinks that he can enslave us, that we can be in that prison house. No. <laughs> Look what the Bible says. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, you, you see, Jesus conquered the power of death when he resurrected. That means that he has power over death. He has power over death. Romans 6, 8 says, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Revelations 1, 8, 18. I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I have risen, I am alive forever, amen, and I have the keys to Hades. I have the keys of death. So death might think that he has a grip on Sonia or on any of our loved ones that died in Christ. Well, that's totally wrong because Jesus has the keys to open up that grave and resurrect that person and bring them back to life. Yeah, he thinks that he's their master. But no, Jesus has resurrection power. So I had to go there. It was important. So I'd like to remind you what I said in my introduction. Today we celebrate the independence of this country, you know, this weekend. But I was here today to talk about the greatest freedom. The freedom that only the Son of God can grant. Freedom from sin. Freedom from its destructive power. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so to experience that freedom, what did we say today? If you just put in everything in a nutshell, you have to be a true believer. You have to be a true believer. Sometimes we think we believe, but we don't believe. So a true believer. 
We must have knowledge by experience of what it means to be free and that what we have been freed from. But we must only remember, we must also remember that only the Son can set us free. We do not inherit freedom. It's only tied to our acceptance of Jesus. It is based on that personal relationship with him that takes us to a life of obedience. And so today I just want to ask, how many of you want to be true believers? Yeah, we, we have to study our own situation. Don't, don't think about your neighbor. Think about yourself. Are we a true believer? How many of you would like to have a more deeper knowledge by experience of what it means to be free, what you have been freed from, and how that freedom came about? Amen? But most of all, how many of you want to accept the Son today so you can be truly free? Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, here are your children. Yes, this was a, a difficult count, and we, we still didn't go through the rest of the chapter where we have so many other things to underline. But God, sometimes maybe we're not believing in you like we should. Because sometimes we're not practicing or accepting your word. And we know, we know we're doing wrong. Sometimes, Lord, we, we tell others to have faith in you, and yet when we go through something, we're like, where were you, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, help us to be true believers. Because we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And if we hold to your word, we will be your disciples. God, we thank you so much because your word is so powerful, and, and, and it helps us to understand what that freedom means and how to experience it. But most of all, Lord, this morning, you know exactly what we're struggling with, and if there's something in our life that we need to be freed from, only the Son can set us free. If it's an emotion that's unhealthy that we haven't been able to manage, you can get rid of it. You can break those chains. If it's a bad habit, if it's a, a relationship that's not supposed to be, whatever, Lord, we know for a fact because your word says it, and you pronounce those words yourself. If the Son sets us free, we shall be free indeed. We bless your holy name, and we thank you for your blessing this morning. Amen.